This is ridiculous. What is happening, Charlotte? Another episode of Four Trans and a microphone, and we have a total of four transplants, a guest host and a guest today. We are talking small business. We're talking HR. People, are they the source of all the problems in your business? We're going to find out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Always. We are recording at Boardwalk Billy's in University Area. They set us up in this cool, I kind of call it the aquarium room. we got a nice river in the background. It's very cool here. They have some great food. They've been really, really good to us so far. So thank you to Boardwalk Billy's. But let's do some intros. I am Jack Tompkins with Pineapple Consulting Firm, helping small businesses become more data-driven. We've got Matt Shields. Hey, y'all. Do you want to do your little intro? Yeah, sure. My wife and I own a marketing business called Chime House Media. We help coaches and course creators with their Facebook and Instagram ads. And we also own an Airbnb business. And we have a lot of irons in the fire, and we're trying to work that out. Yeah. Pretty much any way you can make money. There you go. I'm trying to. There you go. The more <laughs> passive, the better. Love it. We've got the usual Brandon. Brandon with Superior Data Solutions, IT service provider and solution provider. Perfect. And our guest today is Mr. Chuck Cooper, a friend of all of ours. Chuck, go ahead and introduce yourself. Good afternoon. I'm Chuck Cooper with Whitewater Consulting. We do HR consulting work for small and mid-sized companies across the U.S. And today we're helping people solve their people problems. Yeah. And let's talk about that because... So I, I jokingly started with, are people the source of all the issues? Growth is an issue, <laughs> revenue, profits, blah, blah, blah. It comes down to people, right? Is that How much do you deal with that? We deal with it every day. And as a small business owner, you deal with it every day as well. And I think that you know people are their greatest asset as a company. But along with that, they can also become your greatest liability. Yeah, yeah. Like most <laughs> superpowers, it's also your kryptonite kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what kind of businesses do you work with? How many employees are we talking? Most of the companies we work with today have got between 10 up to about 500 employees. 10 to 500. Our, okay. sweet, our sweet spot, though, is probably working with companies between 20 and about and 150, 150 employees. Okay. That's a good, that's a good range. That's actually, that's actually similar to mine, too. Does it, is it more people, more problems? No, not necessarily. A lot of times, honestly, it comes back to leaders and leadership. That's okay. where we have to look at ourselves in the mirror because that's where the issues can arise is in that from that seat yeah. not necessarily from the people it's so. not chicken and egg scenario well it, so when you look at companies today you look at leadership you look at company culture that yeah. all starts at the top yep. and works its way down behaviors exactly it's, yeah. so when you look at culture the algorithm that we use a lot of times is culture equals your behavior your cult, your values times your no value let me get this straight Culture equals... He's looking at the math guy. This makes it tough. <laughs> <laughs> equals your values plus your behaviors times consistency. Would so, you say that values drive behavior or vice versa? So that's a great question. So a lot of times when we think about values, we, we base that off of like integrity. And integrity can be something that could be very subjective to you right. versus and different to me. It's also quite the business buzzword. It is. Yeah. Synergy. So it comes back Integrity. to you have to have those those actions drive the values. So behavior does drive values. Interesting. Okay. And the, the consistency is show up every day, not do the same thing every day, but have that same mindset every day. As a leader, you live out those values yeah. every day. Okay. Yeah. That's a neat formula. I mean, there's zero numbers involved, which makes me scared. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, you don't, you don't need a, a dashboard or. Yeah. It's called gut feel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> That's cool, though. Okay. And so tell us about just like a common common project that you work with a, with a client. Is it is it establishing those behaviors and core values, or is it 
setting up health benefits and all that stuff. Tell us about it. It really is. That's the thing I love about what I do is it's a mix. Mm -hmm. Every day is something totally different. So one day it may be a company calling in say, our business changed so much in the last three years since the pandemic. So we, we know we need to do an HR audit to really make sure we're still in compliance. So we'll focus in on policies and procedures. But then there'll be the next phone call or the next day that somebody will say, we need help with employee benefits. So we'll, we'll be able to come in and talk about things, not just from a physical health, like we've always been focused, but today looking at taking a more holistic approach and also looking at things from a comprehensive standpoint. So we look at not only physical health, but mental health, we look at social and also financial wellness. Okay. So do you have um, like a method that you are tried and true by, or are you pretty much just bespoke for whatever the, the company needs? I, I try to give guidance on that to my, my clients because a lot of them are just focused on, I want to just, pro I want to provide what I've always provided. I just want to give you dental, vision, some health insurance. <clears throat> and the reality is when you've got a multi-generational workforce today, as a, as a younger employee, they've got student loans. They've got a totally different chapter of life that they're in versus somebody like myself, who's at the latter end, who is really focused on, I want a really rich benefit plan, health insurance, long-term care, 401k and the, you know, your contributions to right. that. So that's really where I'm focused. So it really, we need to offer more of a cafeteria style to our employees. Yeah. Make like it that. to the finish line. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And, do, and finish well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like the cafeteria instead of the buffet. I like that analogy much more. <laughs> right. That's, that brings me back for one, but two, there's a lot more options in the cafeteria. Right. Some cost more too. It does, but it doesn't mean that the cost has to be consumed or basically paid for by the employer. That could be something you could offer the benefits and let the employees choose what's best for them and what fits in their budget. Okay. So I may have a low deductible. I may have a thousand dollar deductible health insurance. You at your stage, you may have something that may has a ten thousand dollar deductible. Yeah, if I got hurt, I'm screwed. hundred <laughs> <Well>, percent. <laughs> yes, but the likelihood is much less. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Minus the scooter. <laughs> scooter in the legally blind vision. <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> okay. Have you noticed any sort of like weird shifts when it comes to the workplace now, when it comes to, well, in respect to hiring, say, Gen Zers? Because they're just entering the workforce now, and it's it's got to be strangely different. Like, their values are much different than, say... So again, whenever I'm having conversations every day with business owners that are, you know, that are at the end, they're in their 60s or 70s, right. and you're, I'm having conversations tomorrow with a business owner that's in their 30s, right. and the way that they look at the Gen Z is completely different. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I continue to try to preach to my clients. We can't continue to paint our generations with a broad brush. Right. Everybody's individual. We've all got value that we bring to the organization. So how do we go about identifying those values and pulling those together to work toward that common mission. Right. Yeah, I think sometimes they, people get painted with, a, oh, you're, you're a millennial, you're the I was going to say, talking as a millennial. Yeah, right. yeah I mean, <laughs> exactly. It, I think some of it, I mean, as a generalization, I mean, some of it's probably true, but it's, it's not so true that it's true across the board. Exactly. It's maybe just a generalization for you know, maybe let's say 50%. And it's not necessarily true when it gets, it, you know, it's your values. Like everyone, oh, I can't get my kid to do this. I can't get my kid to do that. And it's like, 
I can't get my kid not to go to work. It's crazy. He came back for spring break or fall break. He's worked every day this week, double shifts. I'm like, and you yep. can't get kids to show up to even go to work. Right. And so yeah, I, have a, I have a younger brother and he's, he's 20 and he's in a labor union. Oddly enough, he does, he's, he's, oh, he's a laborer. He makes like $30 an hour, no debt, completely different like set of values than I had when I was 18. I had no clue. Yeah, me neither. So I went to school, wasted time, drank a lot, <laughs> and got out of there in four and a half years with a bachelor's degree in environmental science that I used for like three years. And I was like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> this is so not what it showed in the brochure. <laughs> People were picking flowers, and I'm not doing anything. <laughs> literally like, oh, I work at a steel mill. I could have done that. Right. <laughs> could have done that on my own. Yes. I just wouldn't have had an office. Right. <laughs> but do, with with regard to that, don't you do you see that in today's world that we we look at people that are in the as a laborer or in the trades, we look at them differently than we would look at a college grad. Yeah, and there's this stigma like I know when I I was coming out of high school, I graduated in 2007 and no one in my family had gone to college, but they all told me I had to. I didn't know for what. I went to a tiny school in the middle of Ohio. My guidance counselors weren't very helpful either. So I went to school and like you do as anyone in college does. And you go through two years of just general ed. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm paying $700 a credit hour to waste my time when I could have learned all these skills on the job. But, you know, my, my dad is a, he, he's done concrete his whole life. So my brother just pretty much followed in his footsteps and loves it. I mean, he makes good money. He knows how to fix things. He, he just went completely different than I did. I don't know how to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to fix anything. Yeah, You can do Facebook ads. We grew up in different houses. Yeah, Let's yeah, say that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, in having said that, I'm, I grew up, when I turned 15, I was chalking baseball fields to make money. And then I started working with my uncle. And I was in construction forever. I worked for Union Pacific. And then I kind of fell into IT just because the trades can be problematic when it comes to a steady paycheck. Mm -hmm. It's either feast or famine. So when I had a family, I was like, okay, I got to do something that I'm going to get paid all the time. So I went into IT. But right now I still dabble. I'll go out and do a side job just because I like it. Yep. I enjoy it. You get to see when you're done. It's not like, oh, the email's fixed yep. and you don't see anything. When I put something in, it's like, I look pretty good. Yeah, I did is, that. It just drives my entertainment now. So I just watch shows of like men doing manly things. <laughs> <laughs> so I watch, I watch like Gold Rush. I'm like, oh yeah, he got that new D10 dozer. <laughs> me, oh yeah. But no yeah, idea. Yeah, but like my son, not one clue. If I told him to go fix something, it'd be like, <laughs> let's see what Google has to say about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Are you noticing a lot of people focusing on any sort of online education? I think, again, part of that has to do with, since the pandemic has hit, we've seen a big shift right now toward even, obviously, the younger generation. They're all into always increasing their education and their knowledge, whereas a lot of times from people that are in the Gen X and the, and the baby boomers, we're focused on just doing the same thing over and over oh, yeah. and over. And not improving ourselves as we go along. Well, this is the way we've always done it was something that I used to hear right. a lot. Yes. I was a safety consultant before I got into all this. And that's exactly the thing that I heard all the time. I was like, oh, I've, done, I've been doing this for 30 years just like this. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, that drove me nuts. I'd hear that all the time. It's like, okay, so there's no room for improvement. <laughs> like, well, that and like, I'm I'm a 25 year old safety manager going up to you know, 60 year old in Ohio, and like you have to do this because a book says so. Yeah. Well, they told me to go pound sand. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, th- to be fair, there's a lot of things in books. You know, safety third was always the motto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but the, <laughs> there's always room for improvement. There's compromise somewhere in there. Right. And I get the book is over the top, you know, everything. But there's got to be a compromise in there somewhere, you know. Yeah. And wouldn't you want it to be easier? To, wouldn't you want to improve? <sighs> well, you know, some people just can't change. Oh, just well, so, it, it's all that stuff is like some of these. Oops, sorry. Some of these like rules that people come up with are these new. Everybody wants to add rules to things or regulations to things, but some of them are written in blood. So like, yeah, it's that way because someone messed it up for everybody. Yeah. But more often than not, he, he, I feel like as a society we've pretty much not relied on common sense, but common sense assumes base knowledge. So there's it's a double edged sword. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. I mean, when we had uh, Union, when I worked at Union Pacific, they had these. They were called cardinal rules. You broke them, you were fired. But the safety book was like this, and it had all different color tabs, and the cardinal rules were in red. Yeah. And those were rules that were written because somebody got killed or seriously injured, and that's why you get fired if you break it. So those were the rules. You had to read the safety rule, which you always read two cardinal rules, and then whatever the orange section was. It was 20 years ago. I don't remember. But, I mean, I get it. Like, you don't think it can? <laughs> Well, that was pretty much our philosophy was, you know, I worked for a chemical company. So there's a ton, ton of rules and regulations you have to follow. But at the end of the day, it's common sense. So I had this, I had this picture, it's a <laughs> meme. It's of Moses holding the two tablets and the Ten Commandments on it. But one says, be cool. The other one says, don't be an asshole. <laughs> and it was perfect. I'm like, just like, don't put your hand anywhere you wouldn't put your wiener. <laughs> and just be careful. It's common sense. Common, I was going to say, come down to common sense. Is that, so that's obviously a more hands-on, blue-collar type thing that you guys are talking about, Brandon and Matt. Chuck, in the industries that you work with, mm-hmm. do you work across the spectrum in blue-collar, white-collar, and is it any different between the two? Oh, yeah. So we do. We work with white-collar and all the way to blue-collar. So we've got manufacturing companies to logistics to professional services. Okay. <clears throat> so we've got a great mix as far as clients and companies we talk to. I think there is definitely a difference. <clears throat> there is definitely a difference in, in the way that we look at common sugar <laughs> between those two. And, and the reality is, to a point you were making a minute ago, Jack, we always are looking for ways to become easier. Mm-hmm. Whether we're going to school and we say, all right, it's going to be easier if we go to college. Life's going to be easier once we get through college. But the reality is, it's always going to be difficult. Yeah, the fact yeah. is, we learn how to handle difficult situations better as we go through each of those chapters. That's a good yeah. twist. So. But, as a transplant, this is a good question, I feel. Do you notice a geographical difference between yeah. people's attitudes when it comes to... Right. <laughs> yes, and, and I love the giggle. Step one, tell us That's where you're from. I know it's a very small good. town. Tell us a little about where you're from and then... So I grew up in a small town in, mid- in the central part of Illinois. Literally, <clears throat> a town of 1,200 people. 32 kids in my graduating class. What? <laughs> you beat me. It's 60. Okay. Oh, my goodness. 
I had 309. <laughs> I had 800. Oh, you had 800, my really? Oh, my goodness. So it didn't take long for our graduation. It was like, boom, we were done. Oh, that's a 10-minute event. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was, it was a great place to grow up. I mean, there, our, I grew up in a family-owned business in the grain elevator. So we were in the agriculture industry. So grain elevator fertilizer business was what my, my parents and grandparents did. <clears throat> so one of the things that my dad decided to do, again, growing up in a small community, there isn't a lot to do in that area. <clears throat> so we got <laughs> shocked. <laughs> so he he knew that with two boys that we had to have a project to to work on and keep us busy. Keep your Otherwise, yeah. <clears throat> we would be into trouble all the time. So he he decided that rather than moving us to a farm and raising cows and livestock like everybody else, that we would go into the dog business. So we went to Oklahoma. We bought four dogs and came back. That was whenever I was I was in elementary school, grade six. By the time I got to, through college, that business had grown from four to where we had about 150 dogs at our house, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, what? And living in town. Doing what? Yeah, doing what? <clears throat> were, you, were you raising them? So we were raising, we raised about 250 dogs a year. Oh my goodness. Just, I can barely handle the two I got. <laughs> right. I can't handle dog sitting for a weekend for somebody <laughs> else's dog. <laughs> so we raised, we literally, we raised about 250 puppies a year. And then I took the dogs after they got to be about a year old and I would, we trained them. So they were all hunting dogs. Oh. <clears throat> so we did yeah. quail, quail hunting, pheasant hunting was primarily the two things we did. So we trained literally every day, seven days a week. It was up every morning at 530. It was feed and clean the pens. And then it was come home from school, and it was feed and clean and train. Wow. I had no downtime. There was no time for parties. There was no time for girls, nothing other than that. And it literally kept us out of trouble. But it was amazing as I look back on that. I mean, the stuff that I learned from how to set, I mean, to actually how, how to make sales, how to deal with people, how to negotiate, how to commit, how to work. Well, was, yeah, the, the work part's <clears throat> the biggest. It's, it's a lot of work, and you just get used to doing it that way. Every day. Yep. That's, that's wow. I, like Matt was saying earlier, learning on the job, right? And as a sixth grader, apparently, you learn pretty early. And were you dealing with customers who were buying the dogs? Or oh yeah, that was okay. that was what that was part of the when point. somebody when somebody showed up at the door, uh, yeah. to, and they wanted to know about the dogs. I was the one that gave them the tour around the kennel that we had. That's awesome. <clears throat> so it was just we learned so much. We developed great relationships with people around the country. So yeah, it was fun. one one story that comes back that I recall was about three o'clock in the morning. My phone rings, and I get up and I answer the phone, and I hear this guy, and he's got an Asian accent, and it's a guy from Japan, and he's calling. He'd seen one of our dogs in a magazine, and he said, "I want to buy that dog." And at that time, we had paid, I think that particular dog, we had paid about a thousand dollars for that dog. That was in, gosh, 1981. Ooh, that's expensive. That was a lot of dog. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we sold the dog. He, he wanted to buy it. He bought it sight unseen. $10,000 is what he bought. Well, damn. Holy wow. <laughs> and so we turned around. Obviously, I said, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Had him on a plane very yeah. soon. Oh. I'll fly him first class for you. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was just, it was just a lot of great experiences. That, that, and I think part of that, again, comes back to the work ethic. But I think... When I look at people from different parts of the country, I think when I look at the Midwest, naturally in my mind, I think people that are genuine people, that are hardworking people, that know how to work. So yeah, yeah, and I think that's, I think that's why you see more trades out here. More than like in Southern California, kind of got a bad rap if you're in the trades for no good reason. I mean, some of the guys in the trades were 
way smarter than any of the people I've dealt with. So I think out here it's just, it's normal. Like you go into the trades, you do, especially being NASCAR, a lot of mechanics and things like that. But I mean, there's some of the trades make more money than desk jobs. Yeah. Like a lot of them do. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm amazed. I like the Renaissance Executive Forum. Great, yep. great group in town. A lot of those folks are manufacturing or some sort of blue collar type business. And I'm yep. like, I walked in there. I was like, oh, like, who wants to talk about data? And they're like, we know a lot about data. I was like, really? And they do. Yeah, they, they have super enormous do. businesses. And it is impressive. Yeah. And they don't get that rap. And it's not fair. No. Because you get paid as just being a dummy that swings a hammer or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You just, I, it's, it's like I said, it's not a fair thing. The only downside to the trades it has a shelf life, <laughs> you know, doing it in my life, it, my back hurts. Like yeah, right. I'll go do it once in a while. I'm like, Oh man, it's easier to sit at the desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> there's a scalability to it too. Like there's definitely pros and cons for sure. Yeah. It's just hiring the right people. It's like any job you could, yeah. you could be a dentist and you don't have good people with you. Then you're just going to be a dentist and that's all you're going to have. So right. it's right. the same thing. Yeah. So those geographical differences, Chuck, is that, I mean, so we're kind of, we're broad joking, right? Millennials, Matt and I, we're losers. We're on our phone 24-7, right? Pretty Neither much. Neither of us are like that, but that's the fact. <laughs> too much. Yes. Admittedly too much. It, right. I mean, Midwest people, very genuine, very hardworking. Is that the stereotype? And obviously a positive one, but. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the stereotype that comes with them. Yeah. It's one that, I think the other thing that kind of comes along with that, though, is they're, they're not, they're very, very closed because of the fact that most of the time a lot of those people if you took two or three generations if you drew a, a circle around their community about two hours a lot of them very rarely get outside that two-hour circle yeah so there's a <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, so, oh it's brutal matt drew a 20-foot circle <laughs> i literally like so i was talking about this and you know I've, I've told my mother this my mother lives in the same house she grew up in and has been at the same job for 30 years and has been to Disney World and Siesta Key, both of which, if you've ever been there, are not real places. <laughs> so it's Disney World is literally a facade. And Siesta Key is just a collection of condos on a beach. And that's it. So like growing up just like sheltered, the first thing I did when I was in college is I, I told my mom that I was going to Madison. And she was like, okay, there's a Madison, Ohio. I didn't go to that Madison. I drove to Wisconsin, and I was like, I want to go somewhere else. Like, I want to be out of here. So every chance I could get, I just left. And I went and go. Did, I went and did whatever I want. And it was amazing. So I got a job, an internship, where I got to travel and go to a bunch of different states. Admittedly, it was terrible because I had to go to, like, chemical plants and paper mills and steel mills really and things like that. Oh, really, yeah, it was really great. And just a heads up, they don't put steel mills in nice neighborhoods. <laughs> but You don't say. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it was it was so much better just, like, coming down here. And I always tried to, like, immerse myself or, like, eat at local restaurants. Like, I don't – we don't eat at chains at all mm -hmm. just yeah. because every time we went to dinner, same thing. Yeah. We went to Florida. You go to Florida, and you're like, oh, let's go to Outback. Right. Perfect. Right. Nailed it. Yep. Blooming onions and blooming onion in all 50 states. <laughs> Kill it. That's funny. So uh, how how how'd you guys, how'd you come to move to Charlotte? It's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear to God. So, <clears throat> I swear to God. So we, we, 
my wife and I, she's from Cleveland originally, and I had lived in the Rust Belt. Okay. So I went to school in Western Pennsylvania. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. It's like halfway in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Moved to Pittsburgh after there. Moved to Detroit and worked at a steel mill. Upgrade. And then I moved back to Cleveland. <laughs> so Charlotte's by far the nicest place I've ever lived. But we wanted to move south, and we kicked around like Nashville, Atlanta, and then like Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville. <laughs> we weren't ready for Florida yet, and we still aren't. It's Yeah. That's another country. But Nashville's crazy. They didn't handle their growth very well, and Atlanta's just insane. Everything We literally called about a job in Atlanta, and the first thing they said was, like, have you ever been here? And we're like, no. And they're like, let me tell you about the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> and I was right. like, okay. Right. <laughs> Fair warning. Literally the first five minutes of the conversation before Megan got to talk about the job, she was like, Smart. have you heard about the traffic? It's not a good selling point so, when you're trying to get someone to work yeah. for you. Right. <laughs> so, so we we booked a flight to Charlotte because we'd never been here for any extended period of time other than getting drunk in the airport on a layover. But we came here 4th of July, 2019, and loved the city. There's a lot of trees here. It's very yes. clean. Which is weird for a city. Yeah, yeah. super yeah. nice, very clean, and the people were nice. And no one's really from here. There's a lot of transplants. Everyone's from, like... I feel Syracuse. like we should make a New York, New Jersey. <laughs> we should yeah. make a podcast about that. Oh, it's almost <laughs> if we have something there. <laughs> That's true, though. My similar-ish story from Connecticut. Didn't like. I was born, raised, went to school, worked, lived in Connecticut, Mystic. and after and we grew up in Mystic. Yep, you ever seen the movie? That's where I'm from. It was too much of Connecticut. And this is the bottom line. I visited a friend down here and loved it. I was like, man, this feels like vacation. And I was like, oh, crap, this is every day. For I could guy. live in vacation. You literally go, vacation. well, yes. that's enough. Yeah. 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 Enough of that. But it's great. No, it is, it is great down here. It's There was a, as we record, we're, you know, mid-ish October, late October. There was like a gray day the other day. It was like kind of rainy, not downpouring. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot that the weather takes so much of a toll on me. Oh, yeah. Because everybody that I talked to, I had work calls. People, like, needed stuff done. They're, like, zip, 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 and all over the place. And, like, I'm just going to go lay on the couch because it's a great <laughs> yeah, day. that's great. That was six months straight in Ohio, I know, in God. Connecticut. It's Illinois. So I lived on, yeah. October yeah. to May. Yeah. I lived on the east side of the lake. And the east side of the lake is just, it's all the wind comes from the northwest. And it just blows over there and accumulates. I always like to tell somebody this snippet, but like my hometown is like 15 minutes from this old arsenal that they built like in between World War One and World War Two, And they built it there because you used to have to fly planes over to spy on people. And they put it there because we get more cloud coverage annually than <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> and we just got so, and again, we just, I just had it hammered home to me too of like, why we moved and all this stuff and like I you think like if your family has like I, I think why the hell do people live up there and it's literally just family right. and what the hell brought yeah. your family there we just did my genealogy because we found out we had dis- we had relatives in England so they're from like northern England like right next to oh. Scotland okay yeah gray and then they moved to Nova Scotia for 10 minutes and then they were like let's go down here and they stopped in Youngstown because a pipe mill was hiring that's it it's not that's like the origin story. no, that's the origin story. And literally, we yeah, they got a job here. Yeah, it was, like, it, was, it was like 1920 something, and it was like, oh, there's a job. This looks like a good place for me and my eight kids. Let's stay here for 90 years. And then now my whole family lives within 10 minutes of each other, and they haven't left since. Wow. They still got that job. They still got the job because yeah. that's the way we've always done it. Yes. So I actually worked at the Coke oven that my great great 
grandfather worked at. Wow. Yeah, and then I left. <laughs> Did you get a legacy hire at least? <laughs> well, I feel like he's like, hmm, we haven't progressed much. <laughs> like, oh, neat. Chuck, what brought you here? Is it a similar story? Or? It is a very similar story. So I had, in Illinois, I had a financial services company okay. that I ran and uh, had a client that originated with me there, moved to Charlotte, and came here to do their annual review. And so I thought, this is a great place. Never been there before. Brought my wife and kids with me. Spent 10 days here. And uh, while we were here, I uh, bought a house. Right. Wow. And it was like, as one, hey, as we, one does. Because why the hell not? Exactly. What do you do on well, vacation? <laughs> so this was in May. In that same year, in February, my parents had retired to Arizona. We were out there for a week. And on the last day there, my wife and I are walking, just taking a walk. And it's 80 degrees, sunshine. And we know we're getting on a plane the next day, and it's going to be cold and gray and snow and zero when we yep. land. Yep. And I told her, I said, we are smarter than this. <laughs> so with that, we started thinking about where do we want to go. Had no idea. Came to, to Charlotte, fell in love with the, everything about the city and the people, and said, all right, we're going to buy a house. We, one of the things we always love to do is just walk, do go through model homes and check things out. Sure. Yeah. And so we, the house, the last house that we walked through while we were here. I liked it, and we got in the car and drove about three hours back, and the kids were asleep in the back seat, and it was dead quiet in there. She goes, what are you thinking? I said, I want to buy that house. She goes, are you serious? And I said, I am. She goes, let's do it. So I literally picked my cell phone up, called the broker, and said, what would it take to buy the house? She goes, send me a check tomorrow. Yeah. And money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> money. Yes. Well, I got, I got back to the house, and... Couldn't find the temperature, so I just wrote a check. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great, awesome. yeah. And literally, so we, we had corporate jobs when we moved down here, too. And the best part, I think, about Charlotte, if you're looking to move, is literally like, so 77 goes from here to the lake. Right. Goes from here to Lake Erie. Dead shot. It's, two, it's, it's three right turns in my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. But it's the proximity. Like, if you have a nine-to-five and you need to like try to maximize time away from your house, the weekend trip potential here is ridiculous. You're yeah, an hour and a yeah. half from the mountains, yeah. three hours from the ocean, and there's lakes in between, and the weather's gorgeous. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna have to wrap up on that point, and more to come on that too. So okay. I know you guys are gonna come back for another episode, but Chuck, how can people find you? Also, you've got a new book out. Give us a little promo, at least the title of it, and how can people find you? The, the book's called Unprecedented. It's written to entrepreneurs and small business owners, really focusing today on leadership and company culture. And you can find it on Amazon, or you can call me or email me. My email is chuck at whitewaterconsulting.net, and my cell phone is 704-236-3131. All right. Chuck, thank you so much for being the guest and letting us do it's, some Illinois stuff with you. It's great. Enjoyed being here. Awesome. And Matt, thank you for guest hosting. We'll see you next time. If I had a perfect day, I would have it start this way. Open up the fridge and have a tall boy. Yeah. Then I'd meet